last week, um, <clears throat> Don Cousins was here, and, and you know, we were, we we're on this series called, you know, God's Real Worldview, and, and he talked about how, you know, there are three primary operating systems of worldview, you know, the, the biblical, the God's real worldview, or, and the me worldview where everything's about me, and there's another worldview with the culture. And what the worldview and operating system in is, is that's the, the basis for what you believe to be true and right. And everything that we do, every, um, you know, our attitudes and our actions and our values all come out of that. And um, today we're going to continue on. And, and the question is, you know, how do you live a good life? You know, how do you live a good life? Do you ever think about that? Or maybe what is a good life to you? You know, what, what is a good life? How important is that? And if we're honest, a lot of us, most of us, if not all of us, have thought about that. It's something we all strive for, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, that, um, um, that we, we're striving for to live a good life. You know, it's something that every worldview, that every worldview got to answer that question. And, and as we've been saying throughout this series, that it really does, our worldview, what we believe, it just affects everything else, including this question. And one thing is clear, that no matter what your worldview is, to live a good life, um, you got to define it, right? you got to define it, and it requires change. The good life isn't something that we say, yep, right here. It's something we're saying, there's a good life here, and we somehow have to work toward it. And when we work toward it or move toward it, it requires changes in our lives. And somehow we just inherently know that we've got to make changes to attain this mysterious good life. And um, we just can't stay where we are. And the common thought with most every, I want to say every, but I just don't know. But most every worldview, or at least the real primary ones, um, that the common thought that every worldview has is that we, in and of ourselves, inside of us, we have the power to change. That we have the power to change and to live a good life. If you want to give, live a good life, you got to change. You got to change. You can do it. It's right here, and you can do it. In fact, um, a statement from the American Humanist Association, whose motto is um, good without a God. Um, this is from their Humanist Manifesto One. It was written in the mid-1900s, maybe a little early, 1930s or some. And they consider this to be one of their um, primary historical documents. Um, they, it, it says this. There is a great danger of a final and we believe fatal identification of the world religion with doctrines and methods which have lost their significance and which are powerless to solve the problems of human living in, the, in then the 20th century. Though we consider the religious forms and ideas of our fathers no longer adequate, the quest for the good life is still the central task for mankind. Religious doesn't, religion doesn't do it, but I tell you what, the quest for a good life, that is still the, um, the task for all mankind. Man is at last becoming aware that he alone is responsible for the realization of the world of his dreams, that he has written, or he has, he has within himself the power for its achievement. 
you must set intelligence and will to task. And the me operating system that Don talked about last week and the cultural operating system um, believe that, yeah, we do have within us the power to change, the power to have a better life, that we have the power to do whatever we set our mind. And, and, and all it takes is for us to get focused on that. And I got to tell you that I've been a follower of Christ for over 40 years, you know, served as a pastor for over 30. I started when I was four years old. And um, I look back, you know, I look back on my life, and sadly to say that I realize so often that I convince myself that I have the power inside to make things happen. See, I just thought like, hey, you know what? If I had just enough willpower, right, willpower, if I had the willpower and if I had the discipline, I could really change. I could live the good life. And most importantly to me, I could make a difference in the world. All it takes is focus, willpower, and discipline on my part. But, you know, out of God's great, great love for me, and this is the amazing thing about the God we serve and we worship. Out of his great, great love for me, um, the Holy Spirit has been there in my life because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get someone called the Holy Spirit to live with you, and, and he's there working in my life. Even in the midst of these harebrained ideas, where I, you know, especially right about December and January, where like, well, by this year, it's going to be a year, you know, all that stuff. And... And he keeps leading me back to God's real worldview. And, and his truth reveals that the biblical or the God's real worldview is really, really different from the other worldviews. The American Humanist Association got it right. That the big question really is the quest for a good life is still central for the task of all mankind. And the biggest difference between other worldviews and God's is where does the power to change come from? Yeah. That's where, man, it's just like, it's just way, way different. And that's what we're going to look at really quick this morning. So far, we've been going through the book of Romans, and we're using Romans as, as, as we look in the book of Romans, we're discovering what God's real worldview, his operating system is all about. And, you know, we've learned that that we are all naturally sinful as opposed to other worldviews that say, you know, we're just good from the start. But we're naturally sinful. We're, we're, um, sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, and since then we're all born with the nature, a sin nature that is bent towards sin. But God, out of his great, great love for us, we messed up. It was our responsibility. It was our choice but he, out of his great love, sent Jesus Christ, his son, his one and only son. He sent him to pay the penalty for our sin, to pay the fine for our sin, that we could be reconciled back to him. We messed up. We, we blew it. He did nothing wrong. He wanted so much more for us. We blew it. But he says, you know what? I'm going to make it right. I'm going to give them my son, and we're going to make this right. And it's something that God did because of love, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it. We talked, that's what grace is all about. And if you keep reading and you get to chapter 7, 
what you're going to read is you're going to read about the law. All right? He's going to, Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans, is going to begin talking about the law. And he's talking about the law of Moses at that time. And that includes the Ten Commandments and all the, um, the commandments that are given in the five uh, books, the five, first five books of the Bible, you know. And, uh, and in the law, Paul is saying that this law was given to reveal where we go wrong. Okay? The law was there to show us where we go wrong and also where we need to go. All right? That's what the law is about. He says, but he's saying that it doesn't have the power to do anything but just reveal it to us. So he said the law is really important because it shows us where we mess up, where we need to go, but it doesn't say anything. It doesn't have anything to do with the power to get us from here to there. And so what he's saying is that um, he's saying that we need something more. And then he, you know, he's just being as transparent as he can be, and he begins to, to share about his life. And he shares a problem that we all go through, especially if we're being influenced or we're following the me or the cultural worldview operating system. And, and, and what it is, is, is that he's showing us that, you know, even the premier apostle, someone who worked, walked closely to God, on our own, we don't have the power. We don't have the power to change. And there's a place, and that is a place where a lot of Christians live. You know, a lot of Christians live, and especially because, you know, it's, we're unaware or but sometimes we just, you know, our, nat- our sin nature kicks in, and we, all we're thinking about is me, right? Right, me. You know, God, 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 will you bless me, God? I'll come to church every Sunday, please, 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 please right? But it's still about me. Or we get influence from our culture, and, and what we find is that even as Christians, when we live in, in that kind of life, because there's no power there, uh, we know what is right and wrong. But, you know, we find ourselves still struggling, I mean, really struggling to, to, con- um, to walk with him. And we just, we just can't help ourselves and we continue to make bad choices, right? And there's no power to do what is right. And so we struggle along, we bumble along into something that we call the exhausting Christian life. It's the exhausting Christian life. Romans 7, 15, Paul says this. This is the premier apostle, all right? Wrote over half the New Testament. And he says this, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So he's, like, he's stuck. He's saying like, you know, I don't understand. I want to do what's right, but I just don't do what's right all the time. And then he goes on in verse 17. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. And if we're honest, I think we all could relate to the Apostle Paul. That it's a struggle that we all face. I want to want to do what's right. But, man, our sin nature takes over. We don't have the power to carry it out, and we just mess up all the time. I remember when I sort of first, beca- when I became a Christian in high school, um, 
for some reason, um, you know, you're going to find it's hard to believe, but um, we, uh, you know, there's uh, different languages we speak, right? We, we speak English, uh, we can speak Pidgin, and then there's a third language which I was really good at called swearing, right? And, uh, you know, I was, I was an expert at swearing. Uh, you know, I, I knew every word. I used every word. I used it in context. I was really great at it. In fact, I made up my own, you know. You know, I was a swearmatologist, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, one day I said, you know what? I cannot be a Christian and keep speaking the way I do. That's horrible, right? And especially when I started to, to go back, uh, when I started to go to, and I first went to church, it was this place called Winter Missionary, and I, I said, you know, I, I got I to watch how I speak because, you know, Susan Yoshida, she's going to see me, and she's going to say, oh, man, look at that guy, right? So I would make a vow. I said, okay, you know what? I'm walking to school, right? Because back then I walked to school, you know, walked three miles one way, barefoot, you know, uphill in the snow. You know, I was walking, right? And then going home, same thing, uphill. But anyway, so I'm walking to school, and I'm telling myself, hey, you know what? Today... I am not going to swear. just not going to do it. I'm just not going to, you know. I, I, no, I'm not going to. Susan's going to be happy with me, man. It's not going to swear. Okay. As soon as I hit the gate and go in, and I see somebody I know, they go, hey, Mark, hey, how to move? Oh, I blew it already. You know? And, and you know how it is, right? You blow it, you go, oh, that's all right, and then you just give up. And you do that. And then the next day, I'm not going to swear today. I'm not going to swear today. And then it goes, happens again. And, and, and that's what Paul is saying. I know what I got to do. Can't do it. I don't got the power. And it's exhausting. goes on in verse 19. He says, Paul says this, I want to do what is good. I want to. Right? We all want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Okay? Have you been there? Ever felt like that? Join the club, you know? But the, the thing is, if we're there, it can get really discouraging, right? Oh, man, what kind of person am I? I read the Bible, I do this, I know what God wants, and I just turn around and do the direct opposite thing. And this is discouraging, and, and we're just flabbergasted at our complete inability to live the Christian life. I mean, we can't even, you know. And, and that's living the Christian life with the wrong worldview. Because Paul is saying that God's real worldview says we got zero power within us to make the changes necessary. He says, I can't, I can't do it. And what Paul is saying is the exhausted Christian life is a really tough place to stay. It's hard. And that's why so many people give it a shot. And they go like, not for me. And they, then they leave. But there's a better way. There's a better way. The answer to living a good life, the answer to living a good life is, is, is not found even as a follower of Christ. It's not found stuck in the exhausting life. That what we got to do is we got to replace it. We got to replace it with the exchanged Christian life. And that's what Paul is talking about. Is we got to change it. We got to exchange it. It's the exchanged Christian life. Verse 19, he goes on. I can't do it. 
Verse 19. I want to do what's right. I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong. I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I really don't want to do the wrong because the sin is living in me. And he, and he says, the power that makes me this, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And he's saying, man, full disclosure, I have no power to change. In fact, there's another power the, the, that's preventing me, that's working against me. It's the power of sin. And, and at the and the problem of other worldviews is that it's right there. This is look inside, but what's inside is our sin nature. There's zero power there. And, and, and Paul says, man, all it does is that instead of giving me the power to live a good life, the only power I get is the power I experience being held in bondage and a slave to sin. And so he goes on and says, there's another way. I got to exchange something here. So verse 7, he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. You know, and I used to feel like this all the time. Like I mess up. It's like, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I can't do it on my own. I need power that I don't have. And Paul says this, the answer. Here's the answer. Verse 25. Thank God. The answer, the answer, the answer to this is not in me. It's in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And the real truth is the power to change isn't found within. The power that we need to change and to live a good life is in Jesus Christ. The answer is exchanging an exhausting and discouraging life of trying to muster up the power to, to change and live a good life, and you exchange that to a life where you are found in Jesus. And then Paul goes on, and he says this. Hey, look, guys, I know what you're thinking. Verse 1. You lived an exhausting Christian life. You've messed up. You knew what was right, but you kept doing wrong. And, you know, you think you're a miserable person, but here's the truth. Verse 1 of chapter 8. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And because you belong to him, you belong to him, what happens? The power of the life-giving Holy Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And when you place your faith in Jesus, and you, be, you, you say, Jesus, you know what? I'm letting go of all this other stuff, me and everything else. I need you. Jesus, will you be my Savior? And you're found in him. Jesus says, you know what? Now I will give you, because you don't have it within you. I'll give you the power to change. And the power is found in the Holy Spirit, you see. And that brings us to the third point. The exchange Christian life provides power that we need to live a good life. Verse 8, verse 5. Those who are dominated by a sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. You move from, from being dominated by sinful thinking and you begin to experience the power to think about things that pleases God. And later on in verse 7, Paul explains 
why every other worldview is so powerless. He says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That is why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Right? And just like Carrie, you can have all this stuff, but deep down we know there's something missing because we don't have the power to fill that up. And when you make the exchange, you begin to move to the good life. Verse 6. So letting your sinful nature, you know, nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit, by letting the Holy Spirit control your mind, He will give you the power to live a life and peace, that it leads to life and peace. And, and here's the thing. When you exchange the exhausting Christian life where you're just trying to do it all by yourself and you move and you exchange that to the exchange Christian life, what happens is you move from fear and slavery to the assurance that you really um, have peace and you have hope, you see? It's hopeless when it's like, I'm not going to swear to that, I'm not going to swear to that. You swear in the first five minutes. It gets so discouraging. And God says, I want to exchange that. And you move from that to encouragement and hope. Verse 15 says, so you, have not, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Hallelujah. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Get that. Almighty God adopts us as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Now we can call him Daddy. Who's your daddy? God. You know, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And the exchange Christian life, you move from fear and slavery to the assurance that you are God's child. And he's your dad. He's your pops. He's, he's, he's daddy. Not only that, verse 28, and we know that God causes all things, to, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, who have made that exchange. He says he's going to work everything together for your good. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with him. And having them right standing, he gave them his glory. And you move from a powerless life where you're at the whim of whatever happens to you, that whatever you know, stuff that comes your way, you, that you move from that, you exchange that for a life where God is continually at work in your life. And here's the cool thing. You live a life where your bad things turn out for good, your good things can never be lost, and the best things are still yet to come. That's what he's saying in this verse. Even the bad things, he says, will turn out for good. All the good things you have, you're not going to lose them. And you know what? As good as, good as it is, the best is yet to come. That's the good life. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying, look, we can stay here in the exhausting Christian life where we can make that exchange. And we're going to move into something so much better because that's what the exchange life that God offers to all of us. He's saying, that's the life. You move from enemies of God to his friends, to his children, from guilt of sin and death to reconciliation with God. 
from a slave to sin to a child of Almighty God, from condemnation to experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, from the exhausting, discouraging life to a life of true power and freedom from the powers of sin and death. I love Romans 8. Romans 8 is probably the most important, the bestest chapter in the whole Bible for me. And Paul says all this stuff. And then he says, guys, the big finish, okay? Because the best is yet to come. Verse 35 says, can anything ever separate us from from Christ's love? Can anything? He says, does that mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. He say, no, no. Despite anything, all these things, overwhelming victory is ours where? Through Christ. Where is the power? Through Christ. Why? Because he loves us. The exchange Christian life is the good life that we're all on a quest to find. It's a life where God's there and that we're never, ever separated by his love. I can be naughty today and God still loves me, right? I can mess up and, and the referees can make a bad call and I'm not saying it, but I'm thinking a naughty word and God says, oh, Mark, come on. But he loves me. Why? Because nothing separates me from his love. And then Paul says, that's not enough. You need more? He says, okay, I'll give you more. Verse 38. And I am convinced that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. You in Kaneoi? This is what it says. Nothing. No more nothing. And nothing that can, you know, separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Death and life can't separate us from his love. Angels nor demons. Our fears for today, I got plenty. Worries about tomorrow. Doesn't matter. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Not convinced? No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever, ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The exchange life is a life that we will never be far from God and his love. doesn't matter what we do. No matter how good we are. He's saying, when you are in Christ, because you don't got the power to change on your own. Because when you're in Christ, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And when you're there, there ain't nothing that's going to separate you from my love. He's saying, on your own, you'll be all over the place. But I'm going to give you the power. In fact, I will demonstrate my power and prove to you that nothing is going to separate you from my love. Friends, that is the good life. That is the good life. And that's the life that Jesus offers 
to all of us. See, if you're honest, call the worship team up. If, if you're honest, so many of us live in that exhausted Christian life. Right? We want to follow Christ. We read the Bible. We want to do what's good. But every day we look back and I mess up, I mess up, I mess up, I mess up. And we're thinking we have to have the power within us to change. But we can't. And God says, and Paul says here, the power is not in you. The power is with the Holy Spirit. Does that mean you'll never, ever mess up? No, no. You'll mess up. But the Holy Spirit will work in your life. I don't think, I don't think any of you guys heard me swear before. And if I swore, it was just to make a stupid point. Okay. Smash my finger, my finger can fall off because I hit it with a hammer, I ain't swearing. Oh, golly, that hurt. I'm not going to. Why? Did I have power within me to change? No. One day, God said, it's done. And I said, it's done? It's done. From that day, don't need to swear. And it was such a big change. My language got so much better that Susan Yoshida from Castle Haiku said, you know what? I can go to this church now. Started coming. That's what we need. And so why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. And if you're living that exhausting Christian life, maybe today you make that change. Right? Or maybe you're thinking, man, I'm not even there. I'm just trying to live the good life on my own. And I need Jesus. Exchange that for a good life today. Right? So we're going to pray. And you just pray with me. Because I'm going to lead you in a prayer in which we're going to invite Jesus to come into our lives. And if you've never ever done that before, it's so great. And we have like a gift in cellophane bags right there on the table. Grab one of those. It's a Bible and some other stuff. And for some of you, you're here today for this very reason. Because God is working all things together for you and he wants you to come to him. For others, you're here today because, man, I'm, this exhausting life is exhausting. <laughs> I got to make that exchange. And God wants you to make that exchange today. All right, so let's pray. Father, here we are. Here I am. I want to do what's right, but I cannot. Even when I know what is right, I, I still mess up. And I need you. And so I ask you, Father, will you, will you change my life? And I start by saying, Jesus, will you be the Savior of my life? That I want to be found in you. I don't have the power, but you do. That you died on that cross for me that you paid the penalty for my sin and you say welcome and as I believe in that you give me the Holy Spirit and the power to live a good life oh I need I want and I need to live the exchange life thank you that nothing's going to separate me from your love we thank you in Jesus name